What up, church? How we doing? Good to see you. <laughs> hey, <laughs> love y'all, love y'all. Love you guys, man. This is an incredible Sunday, incredible Sunday. I should not be up here, but I get to be. So it's an honor. I want to honor our pastors first and foremost, man. They are incredible. They came alongside me almost more than 10 years ago and have just been the incredible leaders that you get to experience all the time, okay? If you're here for the first time, come back because I don't even know how this is going to go, okay? So come back. <laughs> come back. What I'm sharing with you guys today and online, y'all are the hypest campus we have, okay? So I'm glad you guys are joining us. It's good to see you guys. Um, I'm sharing straight from journals today, okay? Like this is from my journal. I've got to set some things up first, but I'm about to share with you guys something straight from my journal. I think this time in uh, our lives, there's a lot of contention. There's a lot of chaos, okay? Um, there's a lot of disunity that really defines what our world looks like right now. We all know that, okay? You don't have to go to Instagram and Facebook to find that out. It feels that way, okay? Um, and I think as a Christian, that makes it very challenging. The Christian life has never been easy. It was never meant to necessarily be easy. Um, and I think during times like this, it's even more challenging, okay? So every year I look at a set of scriptures that I call like the temple building scriptures. Um, or, you know, when um, the Jewish people actually rebuilt a temple that was destroyed. We'll talk about that in a minute. But these scriptures give me insight every single year about the Christian life. But I've got to set that up for us first, okay? So I hope this isn't boring. I hope you guys are leaned in. Every single time I say the word dwell or um, show some evidence of God wanting to be in proximity of us, I want you to feel it, okay? I want you to feel it, okay? So what I love is that through history, through the Bible, you see a God who always intended to dwell with his people. Those are the facts. I'm going to help. I'm going to help prove that. But those are the facts, okay? You can start with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the garden. You guys may know the Garden of Eden, literally a heaven on earth. They had everything they needed in that garden, okay? God also gave them some instructions, but they had everything they needed. They were made in God's image. They were to image bear God. Okay, so in that way, they they were almost like kings. God gave them dominion over the land and said, this is going to be your land. You can work this. This is you're in control of this. So they were like kings. Okay. But because they were also image bearer, they were like priests as well. So they were like king priests. Adam and Eve were supposed to be this representation of God. But of course, you all know they messed it up. We had that Satan slithering in, telling them lies that they believed. They took matters into their own hands, trying to kind of go around the corner and distrust God. This is not something unfamiliar to us. Matter of fact, this is the whole history of the Bible, okay? But we see a God who even despite our mistakes, even despite Adam and Eve's mistakes, you see it on his mind to redeem us. And to fix us, okay? So we see that in Adam and Eve. Sin was created because they distrusted God. Sin cannot be with God, okay? Because God is righteous and holy, and that's just the way he set things up. So in fact, there is some separation that happened. 
Because sin is like something that needs to be cleaned up. I hate cleaning. My wife loves it. This either makes us a phenomenal team or it's going to ruin our marriage, okay? I wish something would fix that cleaning, like would clean our house and it just be done. Because I'm not cleaning for 15 minutes every day, which seems like she has the proclivity to do. I don't. I would love for something to just deal with the mess forever. When sin came into this world, it needed to be dealt with. It caused a mess. It caused destruction, death, corruption, people completely dis being disobedient to God. So God actually had a mind when sin came into the world and created a separation between him and his people to redeem us. Okay? And so he would set things into motion to make this happen. You see Abraham. Y'all know Abraham. The father, like, I, what, what's the song? How does the song go? Um, father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Okay, this is, this is that's, that's funny. It's, it's a funny song. But God made a covenant with Abraham. And the covenant sounded like this. He said, you should father many nations. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I will establish a covenant between me and you and your offspring. Abraham was blessed by God. God would keep this promise. He would bless generations that came after him. The same generations that were broken. The same generations that would mess up. I'm talking to us right now. He would do this. That was his plan, okay? One of the nations that came from Abraham were the Israelites, okay? And because of sin and brokenness and all that mess that needed to be cleaned up, we see the Israelites have a heritage of bondage for more than 400 years. They're in Egypt. They have bondage. That's what their 400 years has been defined by, okay? They cry out to God, and the loving God who wants to be with us responds. He sends Moses. He sends Moses, and Moses is going to get these people out of bondage through the power of God, okay? And so Moses does this. Think of Moses as this leader. Think of Moses as somebody that might sound and feel like Jesus eventually, right? But in this moment, he sends Moses. Moses and God make a covenant. You've heard of the Ten Commandments. God makes this promise to Moses and says, man, if you guys do this, I will be your God and you will be my people. I'm going to protect you from your enemies. As long as you follow these rules. Of course, what happens, guys? They mess it up. We mess it up. Okay? So we see this pattern continue to persist. But what you do see is that in Exodus 25, God tells Moses and gives him instruction. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. That I may dwell among them. You see a God who wants to dwell with these people, even though they're broken, okay? You see that through history, okay? So what you see through the history of all of this brokenness is literally even in Judges, which is a book of the Bible, you see Judges is just this pattern of Jewish people being um, oppressed, being afflicted by the Philistines and the Assyrians, all these enemies of God. And then you see God send one person who's going to lead them out of whatever that bondage is. And that pattern just persists and persists and persists and persists. 
that people still turn away from God, but he's still sending somebody to save them. This pattern through history is supposed to tell us that this is what God has been doing and is doing. Okay? Well, let me say it another. This is what God has been doing and will ultimately do. Let me put it that way, okay? Because this isn't going to last. This pattern is not going to be forever, okay? God has an intention to redeem us once and for all. So as we move through history, we're done with the Israelites. Or not, we're done with the Israelites. We're done with Moses. Um, we have Solomon's temple. Solomon is the son of David. He ultimately builds this temple, okay? This temple, again, represents God's presence. It represents this holy place, and only priests could go into it and make sacrifices like my wife who wants to clean every single day. God actually ordered things to where if we did sin, we could be made clean for a moment. My house is going to get dirty again. But for a moment, we have to clean so we can invite people over. Okay? Think about it like that. God literally made a system that allowed the Jewish people to be made right with God after they sinned. But it would only be temporary. He was ultimately going to solve this forever, okay? And that's where we're heading in a moment, okay? But Solomon's temple is built, Isaiah 56, 6 through 7 says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on the altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Again, you see a God who's saying, I want to be right there. I'm in their midst. Okay? Again, they rebel. And because of their rebellion, now that this permanent temple has been erected after the tabernacle of tent, now this permanent temple has been erected. And all of a sudden, God is like, fine, I'm going to give you guys to your enemies now because you continually disobey what I'm saying. Okay? So the Babylonians come and destroy this temple and des- destroy the walls of Jerusalem. Okay? But again, God is going to redeem this. This will just be for a moment. God is going to redeem this, okay? So that is what happens. We see this evolution from a tabernacle, a tent, a temple, and then ultimately who's going to come on the scene? Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and basically epitomizes everything the temples epitomized. He is the temple. What John 1.14 says is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The patterns of history scream that God has been wanting and desiring to be closer to us. So now he sends his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was more than just the temple, though. He would also be the sacrifice. In the temples of the day that we talked about back then with the Jewish people, those temples had priests who offered the sacrifices. Again, this was that temporary cleaning. Jesus, the innocent sacrifice, would be the final cleaning. This is not true of cleaning today. I wish it was. It should be. If we can send a man to the moon, somebody should figure out how to make a house permanently clean. Jesus would be the final and the end. He would be the lamb that had to die to clean up our sin once 
and for all. This is what God intended, and you can see this in the Old Testament. He intended this from the beginning, okay? What we see, of course, is the word became flesh and dwelt among us, okay? That same noun, dwelt, is used when God commanded Moses to make the tabernacle. The exact same noun, exact same noun. This has been consistent through history, okay? So Jesus would teach. He would reach the lost. He would uh, connect with lepers, tax collectors. These were people in the society. These were the social pariahs. Nobody wanted to mess with these people. Jesus would make a beeline to every single one of those people. He did something different. He acted different. He actually, if you're paying attention, you see a Jesus who wanted to spend time with those nobody else would spend time with. You see a Jesus wanting to touch those that everybody would run away from. You see a Jesus who looked at brokenness and doesn't want sin to exist, but still moved into it and said, I'm going to conquer this because there's a God in heaven who loves you. This is what's true. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died. This is also true. Hebrews 9. He did not enter by means of blood and goats. Do you guys remember when I told you about the old temple? They were sacrificing blood, bloods from goats, oxen. I mean, this is disgusting. Big animals, man. Big animals. They were sacrificing those every, all the time. All the time. Hebrews 9. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Many of us may have heard John 3.16, which is, For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Okay? This is what he intended from the beginning. Adam and Eve messed it up. God already had a plan in motion that we would be able to look back on and see a God who even through history has wanted to be in a relationship with us and would redeem this. Okay? I'm trying to get y'all to see this pattern through history. Okay? So there's a moment actually when Jesus walks into this temple and these people who are corrupt like we are, right, who are broken like we are, have stopped doing holy things in the temple. There weren't sacrifices happening in this temple. Jesus walked up on the scene. These people were doing pyramid schemes and forex and all this other stuff. They were in the temple doing those things, okay? They were selling things. And maybe I shot somebody down just now, but I'm sorry. They were selling things. Jesus is like, this is not what's supposed to be happening in this temple. This temple is supposed to be a holy place. People are supposed to be interceding, worshiping here. What is happening? Jesus gets gangster. He gets courts. I mean, he didn't cuss, but maybe he did back in the day. Like, I don't He was mad. He threw tables over. So what are y'all doing in my father's house? Why are y'all making a mockery in my father's house? This represents his presence. This represents his glory, and you make a mockery of it. Jesus is so mad at the religious leaders of that day who are a part of this, unfortunately. In John 2, 18 through 21, Jesus says, or the Jews that responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said it took 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it up in three days? Jesus says, 
Jesus says. He doesn't say anything. He says, what, 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 what verse 21 says, he was speaking of the temple of his body, right? It, it speaks to us. Like it, it, it tells us he was speaking of the temple of his body, not the building. Because Jesus is the temple. There's no need for a building now that Jesus is on the scene. So Jesus is saying, you're going to kill me and I will come back up because I will conquer death and I will conquer sin on behalf of every individual in this room. The reason I'm telling you all this is because it is crazy what God intended from the beginning of time. Okay, one last evolution here is this. And this really does include us, right? Of course, Jesus died to reconcile us back with the Father because sin had to be dealt with, right? The house had to be clean. This would clean it forever for those who believe in Jesus. Before Jesus goes back up to heaven with the Father, this is after he's been resurrected, he spends time with his disciples talking, meeting with them, letting them know what his vision is. But he also leaves them the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to leave you an advocate. I'm going to leave you a helper. Right? This is what's crazy to me, man. For those who believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. This same concept was thought to be true back then. The temple had what was the Ark of the Covenant, which was this proof that God made a promise with his people. But his spirit was thought to dwell amongst those things. And now you see this evolution of God saying, I want you to have my spirit. Guess what God does to make sure we're clear on what he's doing? Peter 2, 4 through 6 says, um, And coming to him as a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. This is also true because of what Jesus did and because of what God is doing. Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be glorious. Come on man. One more scripture real quick. Ephesians 4, 14 through 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It has been God's intention from the beginning of time to clean up the mess that would separate us from him. So ultimately, he could dwell in the heart of the believer. Why? Because the Christian life is hard and we would not be able to achieve what we saw a whole bunch of people mess up for thousands of years. He had this in mind. So now those of you who are Christians have the spirit of God dwelling in you. We are supposed to understand that this same power is the power that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead when the world thought they got him. The reason I'm coming after this right now is because I feel like the only real tool the enemy uses to try to effectively take us out 
is for him to make us think that we are separated. That from our friends and community, that from a God in heaven. If you don't believe in God, he wants you to continue believing that. If you do believe in God, he wants you to continue to think that God does not care about you or you've messed up too much. Is that not true? That's one of his only cards. He wants you to think you could mess up enough for a God to be separated from you. But what, a th- what thousands of years of history is screaming to us is that a God has been trying to make himself closer to us. What once dwelt in a building now dwells in our bodies. That is insane, guys. We have God closer to us than history ever has to help and empower us, okay? Because of this reality, here's me letting you into my journal finally, okay? There are temple building scriptures you might find in the Old Testament, okay? Jewish people, I told you about Solomon's temple. It was destroyed because they messed up like we mess up. And God said, fine, it's actually my will to give you over to the people that you are not messing with, but like they were making idols, They were being corrupt. There were um, sects of people that God really, really loves through scripture. Um, That's orphans. That is widows. And they were even hurting widows, not taking care of orphans. And so God was like, for a moment, I'm just going to, the temple's going to be destroyed. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Y'all going to be exiled. But God, again, had a plan to redeem. So he actually lets the Jewish people come out. He snaps fingers and makes kings make that possible. And so these Jewish people come out of exile to rebuild the wall, okay, to rebuild the temple. Now, here's my thinking. If, in fact, the scriptures are living, breathing, and active, those Old Testament scriptures aren't just history. They should speak to us now. If the same word to describe the temple then describes our bodies now, we can read the Old Testament scriptures and get something from them today. That's what I did in my journal, okay? So we are going to step into Nehemiah, okay? Now, Nehemiah specifically, he's not building the temple. The temple's actually built. He's building the walls of Jerusalem. But I think this relates. Haggai is another. Um, Ezra is another as well. I want to encourage you guys to read each of those scriptures and do what I did with it. Say, what in this temple building moment might speak to me because in those moments God sends leaders he sends prophets to speak and encourage the people why was it necessary for people to be encouraged well because it was hard the Christian life is hard it's not easy if I ask you to raise your hand right now about something you're praying for a cancer diagnosis a a friend you're trying to reconcile with a family member you haven't spoken to in years The Christian life is not hard. It's not easy. It's very challenging. God sent prophets to encourage these people to build this temple because it would take time and it would be hard. But again, it's a God who has always wanted to be present. And in his presence, he has always wanted to help us. Okay? So what we see in Nehemiah is something really, really special. Okay? You see the opposition we all face. Okay? Same opposition. That stuff hasn't changed. Our sin, the way we sin, and the way people oppose us has not changed through history, brother. Just letting y'all know right now, that has not changed, okay? So we're about to see this in Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 3 real quick, okay? 
So coming on the scene, Sambala and Tobiah are uh, governors that don't want this building to happen. They're your opposition, okay? That's the, 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 the bad note from a friend. That's the uh, friend who wants to snuff you and tell you you can't become a Christian because you're not good enough. You got to clean yourself up. That's the friend, Sambalat, okay? Here's when, when Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, why or what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble as burned as they are? Tobiah and the Ammonite, also enemies, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stones. This is saying nothing they're building will be strong enough. How many of you took the turn to become a Christ follower and the first thing you faced was opposition that said, it ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to go like you think. You're going to start strong, but then you're going to fail and you're going to just, you're going to forget the whole thing. That's what these people are doing. That's what the enemy, that's what Satan has been doing. Okay. So again, we're talking about things that have happened thousands of years ago and they're about to speak to us right now. That's what's about to happen, okay? So Christian life is hard. These are uh, the things that this opposition is saying to us. You won't build anything strong enough. It's going to take too long. Um, This is what the opposition is saying. And so as you continue, this is what um, really speaks to the reality of, I think, what opposition can do to us, okay? This is what speaks to the reality of it, because we're real people here on this platform. I'm not perfect. Me and my wife, I feel like marriage is incredible, but it doesn't mean that it's not hard at times, okay? So what's happening is as these people are building the temple, and as we think about building our own temples, our own spiritual lives through opposition, here's what the reality can be sometimes, okay? Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. I don't know exactly how to make rubble practical to you, but I think if that was what the foundation used to be, maybe we can say that the rubble in your lives may be the mistakes that you're thinking about right now. The, the ways you've maybe took a left turn, the ways you maybe have fallen short, and you see it, you can think about it, and maybe it's so discouraging. Because to anybody who's rebuilding something that was once broken, it makes sense that if you see the rubble, it's actually discouraging. To anybody who's trying to do a life pure with their girlfriend, the mistakes you made in the past might actually discourage you. To anybody who's trying not to curse, yesterday may discourage you because you messed up. To anybody who is trying to walk in intention and uh, trying to be nice to people, trying to be kind and compassionate like Jesus was, the person you snuffed out yesterday may be discouraging. So this rubble is here. The strength of the laborers is challenged in this moment. We have to look at how Nehemiah responded. Because my point to you is how Nehemiah responded might be how we should respond as we build our own spiritual lives. 
So their strength is weak, okay? Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see it, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put the end to their work, put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. How does, the, how does Nehemiah respond? Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by their families with swords and spears and bows. How many of you look at scripture in the morning? How many of you might have scripture on your mirror that reminds you how to oppose the enemy who's trying to come at you? That sounds like what Nehemiah is doing right here to me. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. This sounds like Braveheart. And fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your homes. Come on, man. He says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. They have so much to remember. I hope we do. They have so much to remember. Bondage was a thing of the past. Exile. We're now out of exile. We get to rebuild. They have so much to remember. I hope you do. Remember the Lord. Remember what he's done in your life. Remember what he's capable of doing in your life. This is what Nehemiah is saying. This is what I'm saying to you. This is what you better say to yourself. Are y'all hearing this? Come on, man. Listen, listen. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Come on, guys. From that day on, this, I love this is gangster. Half of the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon, a gat, in the other. Let's go. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Y'all need scripture. Y'all need truth. You need brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to remind you and be gangster enough to let you know what God is doing, has done, and can do in your life. This is what is happening in this scripture. He's talking about building a physical building we are talking about building a spiritual building okay the same strategy applies i'm not done this part is the best part man this is the best part this is the best part okay um where am i where am i 18 okay those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other we talked about that and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked we talked about that but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me why do you have a trumpet then i said to the nobles the officials and the rest of the people the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other on the wall wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet join us there Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Connect groups. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. I just got a call. Let me call somebody who's going to point me to Christ. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. What does he say? Our God will fight for us. If you are in a moment where you feel of opposition is stronger than the God you serve, what Nehemiah is saying then applies to us now. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet,
it, join us there. There are people in this church right now dealing with death. I know somebody who's dealing with miscarriages right now praying. He sounded the trumpet and we joined him. Church, you are not alone. The enemy can only lie to you for as long as you believe it. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. What is he saying? Our God will fight for us. This happened thousands of years ago. But the scriptures are living, breathing, and active and speak to us today. So let your opposition say you've changed. Tell them that's exactly what God's plan is for my life. Let your opposition say, there is no way you're going to build something strong enough. Tell them, you're right. God is going to. Tell them what they need to hear, y'all. Let's go. I didn't mean to get this crazy. <laughs> I didn't mean to get this crazy. Okay, y'all take a seat. Y'all take a seat. My bad. My bad. I love y'all so much, man. This, man. this is my journal. That's why I'm getting This is my journal. This is me. This is God talking to me, man. So I'm just trying to share what he shared with me. Man. So, so it's true. It's true. It's true that there was separation when Adam and Eve made a mistake. It's true. But it's also true that God set a plan in place the entire time to make us right with him. Oh my gosh. It is true. Okay. Here's what I need us to know, though. There are those of us in this room who may not have anything to do with Jesus, who may not have known that was the plan from the front, who may not have known that Jesus is the sacrifice that cleaned the house forever. You may not have known that. You may not have known that. You don't have to clean yourself up. He did that work. But if that's you and you don't know that, I'm going to ask you to do something incredibly bold in this next moment small but it's bold. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes. Everybody's head, head bowed, eyes shut. And I want to invite you, if that's you, what you ultimately are saying is, God, go ahead and dwell on the inside of me. Go ahead and start to change and transform me. I want to make Jesus Christ first in my life. I want to believe that he is the savior of my life. I'm going to ask you to do something bold but simple next moments, okay? I'm going to count to three. What I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hand. No one is looking. Only the God in heaven who's only been trying to pursue you since the beginning of time, okay? So I'm going to ask you on the count of three. One, two, three. If you want to raise your hand and say, let me make Jesus first, you can do that right now in this moment. You can do that right now in this moment. I love all these hands, man. I love all these hands because the Spirit of God is about to fill this room with more believers who He is about to indwell in. And that is a beautiful thing, okay? So what I'm going to ask you guys to do in this next moment is everybody put your hand on your heart. You're going to pray this prayer with me, okay? You're going to pray this prayer with me. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I ask you. Sorry, dear Jesus. Thank you for forgiving my, my sins. I know I've made mistakes, but I ask you, 
my heart forever because I give you I give you my heart so give me the power to live for you all the days of my life amen can we clap for everybody who just